This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. Vast Wasteland Episode 32. Olympics on TV 101. It's Vast Wasteland, the podcast journal of popular culture, with Mark. I'm now Servot 4000. And now, from the pop culture bunker somewhere in the flyover states, take it away, Mark. Well, thank you, AnnouncerBot, and welcome to Vast Wasteland. It's just me, Mark, talking to you for a very special episode. But first, I want to remind you, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com for the feed and other SF Productions podcasts. We do have that Facebook fan page. You can search for Vast Wasteland or go to iTunes and search for Vast Wasteland. You can contact us through the website, Facebook, or email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Finally, you can call the voice line at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Now, as I said, it's a very special episode. I thought it was a perfect time to talk about the Olympics, and specifically the Olympics on television and the history of how we've gotten to this point of too many hours and too many channels and too much to watch and all that. It all goes back not just back to the 1950s where most people would think, well, that's when television really started. It actually goes back to the Berlin games of 1936. So the Nazis had early television, but they didn't really have people owning their own personal uh, sets because they were so expensive. So they had what they called television parlors around the Berlin area. So you could go to essentially a theater and watch the games on these on these sets they use both electronic and traditional film cameras and it's widely considered to be the first sporting event ever on television well then you had world war ii and pretty much you didn't see any tv going on during those years so we jumped to 1948 and london Now, the BBC broadcasts three and a half hours a day live of the Olympic Games. But because, you know, this is, again, very early television, they actually ran a cable from Wembley Stadium, where the games were going on, to their studio at Alexandra Palace. So, very primitive type things. But BBC had actually been involved, again, going back to around 1936, of regular television service. So Europe was actually ahead of the U.S. on this. Then we jump to 1952 Helsinki. Now, there was no actual TV coverage of the Helsinki Games, but bizarrely enough, there was a telethon. And I want to thank tvparty.com for this information. And it's a really great site for anything having to do with television history. And a lot of video and audio, great stuff. So... What is happening was that the U.S. Olympic team literally did not have enough money to fly themselves to Helsinki for the games. And it's the height of the Cold War. And it's like, what do you mean the U.S. isn't going to be there? And so Hollywood got together and said, 
we're going to do a telethon. We're going to put on a show, kids, and let's go make some get some money for the U.S. Olympic team. Bob Hope and Bing Crosby hosted, and this was, I believe, the first time that Bing Crosby had ever been on television. He had pretty much stayed away from it because, at the time, if you were a big star, you did not go, for the most part, on television because it was going to destroy the movie industry. And the movie industry basically said, hey, if you're a big star, we better not see you on television. So it was 14 and a half hours. It was broadcast on both NBC and, and CBS. And this happened, you know, we, we've seen it recently with the telethon for Haiti and uh, Katrina before that and, and, and several other times. But this happened a lot more often back in the 50s where the networks would get together and say, yeah, we're both going to show it. So here are some of the people who were on this this telethon. And these are, at the time, these were huge stars. Abbott and Costello, Spike Jones and his orchestra, Humphrey Bogart, Marilyn Monroe, Burns and Allen, Joan Crawford, Tony Curtis, Jaja Gabor, Martin and Lewis, Edward G. Robinson, Frank Sinatra, and Ed Sullivan. So a huge amount of people came out for this thing. And they ended up making about $310,000, which was enough to send the team to Helsinki. So the U.S. was actually represented there. No actual TV coverage because... Got to keep in mind, again, primitive television at the time. Big, huge cameras designed to basically run inside a studio, not really designed for handheld use out at an exterior location. They could do it, but it involved bringing a mobile van in and all that, and all the guts of the, the broadcast had to be inside this van. It was It was very messy to do it at the time. So we jump all the way to 1960. And it's not until this point where you start to see regular TV coverage in the United States of the Olympics. We start with Squaw Valley in the, as the Winter Games. CBS paid the huge sum of $50,000. And keeping that in mind as we go forward, <laughs> the kind of money you see later, only about fifty k. Walter Cronkite hosted live coverage. Now, Squaw Valley is in California, so it was relatively easy for them to to do this live because it was near enough to, I'm guessing, San Francisco or, or a major city uh, so that they could actually show this. And from what I'm reading, it, this may have been where instant replay was born. Some announcer or some producer was saying, boy, we wanted to see if this particular skier or whatever, this athlete had actually jumped the gun. And they couldn't really tell. And they asked the engineers, hey, could we get a, you know, did you tape that? Early videotape, not everything was videotaped. A lot of stuff was just broadcast live and it went in the airwaves and that was it. So this engineer said, huh, so you want to see it just a couple, like a minute later? And it's like, no, we need to see it instantly. <laughs> and so he went off and essentially invented instant replay. We then go on to the Rome Summer Games. CBS paid $394,000 for the rights, and they got about 20 hours of coverage. And at the time, a younger reporter named Jim McKay hosted from New York. There were no communication satellites, or well, there were, but none that were available to the public at that time. And so it's in Rome. How do you get it to the United States without just filming it and putting it on a boat? Well, what they ended up doing was they would fly tapes over the Atlantic and 
at they had a mobile unit set up at the airport because they didn't want to take the time between getting to, from the airport to the studio. So they would broadcast it from the airport. CBS wouldn't see the Olympics again, wouldn't have a chance to get involved until 1992. But they were really the first ones to get involved in U.S. Olympics coverage. We then move on to 1964 and the Tokyo Summer Games. NBC got the rights, and this is the last time NBC was involved until 1972. They paid $1.5 million. Again, you can see the numbers starting to move up. Several firsts here. This was the first uh, games uh, broadcast via satellite. It was the first live color telecast via satellite for, for just the opening ceremony. The rest of it was a black and white. It was the first satellite broadcast across the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> so a lot of technical firsts going on here. Then in the Winter Games in Innsbruck, ABC begins their long Olympic run. And if if you grew up in, you know, you're in your 30s or 40s or even 50s, when you were a kid, well, obviously ABC showing the Olympics because they always showed the Olympics and because they did it for like 20-some years. This is the first time. They paid $600,000 for the rights, and Jim McKay moved over from CBS to host it and became known as the voice of of the Olympics, essentially. Then 1968, the Grenoble Winter Games, ABC paid $2.5 million. The first games in color, 1968, right around there, all the networks basically went over to all-color programming. And what happened was that Peggy Fleming, a skater, and Jean-Claude Killy, a skier, popularized the Winter Games. Because at this this point, it was like, okay, well, we're doing the Winter Games, but a lot of people don't care. Well, they they became much more per, of personalities, so it really pushed the idea of the Winter Games. It became much more of a, of a major thing. And then there was also the Mexico City Games, 1968. ABC paid $4.5 for the rights to that. From a broadcast standpoint, nothing much significant there. Obviously, there were a lot of significant political things going on then, but that's not really what I'm here to talk about. Then we go to 1972, and the Sapporo Games, In these are winter games. NBC, again, they got a chance back in here, and they paid $6.4 million. This is the last time you're going to see NBC do the games until 1988. And then back over to the summer games, Munich, ABC paid $7.5 million for the rights. So you see these numbers, again, continuing to move up. What has always been remembered about the Munich games is, of course, the the hostage crisis that went on during the games, basically in the the athlete center, essentially, where they were staying. I'm, I'm blanking on the word. But this is when, to, for most people, when you hear Jim McKay, you heard, you heard the word Olympics because this guy who was not even the host of the Olympics at that point, he was a reporter, but they knew, the producers knew that McKay had worked as a news reporter and he was the closest thing to a real news reporter that was available because it was the sports guys and he had worked as a news reporter and they brought him in and he hosted, you know, this event, you know, it was a horrible event, but it was riveting television. So you've got Jim McKay, you've got Howard Cosell, and you've got a, uh, a young reporter who was basically handling European stories, Peter Jennings who covered this hostage crisis live. And because ABC had the rights and they were in the right place, you know, at the, well, I was 
arguably the wrong time, but it was a terrible event, but they were at the right point. They pretty much had exclusive live coverage of this event. So then we moved to 1976, and the Innsbruck Winter Games, ABC paid about $10 million for the rights, nothing significant, particularly significant there. Montreal, ABC again, paid $25 million for the rights. This is significant in that the this is when games became so incredibly expensive for the for the host cities. And Montreal is now well known as a city who's still paying, you know, some what some 40 years later, 30 some years later for for these games that the the costs were just out of control. 1980 Lake Placid Winter Games, ABC pays $15.5 million, and this is, of course, where the infamous Miracle on Ice occurs. Do you believe in miracles? All that. And that's this major significant point for broadcasting there. Moscow Games, 1980, NBC is back. Oh, yeah, they're going to get the games. Well, they really didn't uh, because of the U.S. boycott of the games. So the network said we really can't show. I mean, they, they, they owned the rights. They could have shown it. But they said, well, we really don't feel right if the U.S. is boycotting it. And so they only showed highlights. Now, this, <laughs> the point here is NBC paid $87 million for these rights that they then threw away. And this was kind of the last straw for Fred Silverman at NBC. And this is Fred Silverman had, and I could talk about him for a while, but suffice it to say, Fred Silverman was the head of NBC at the time, and he was basically running NBC into the ground. And this was pretty much the last straw. And they're like, okay, you're done. Get out of here. 1984. The Sarajevo Winter Games, ABC, $91 million. The facilities, of course, ended up as a war zone because that's where Sarajevo, where these, these terrible, uh, the terrible war occurred in the later 80s. And the facilities, the sports facilities, ended up becoming this war zone. Los Angeles Games, ABC again. And this is when TV rights pretty much started paying for the games. You know, I mean, what I mean by that is the major source of revenue for the Olympics was the TV rights. ABC paid $300 million, and this is when things went nuts in terms of how much they paid. But it's it's LA Games. It's, it, it's going to be easy for them to get all the coverage. They'll have huge numbers. They did have huge numbers. It's questionable whether, you know, at this point, whether it was worth paying that kind of money. It was to the point where the networks were never again going to make a profit on the Olympics. It wasn't possible. It was a way to springboard prom via promos your fall, new fall shows or your new winter shows, as the case may be, and and push these these shows. That was the main purpose of it. You never would make money on the Olympics as a network again. 1988. Calgary Winter Games ABC pays three hundred nine million. This is the last time ABC they basically walked away because they were spending so much money on this, and they like, we don't want to do it anymore. And there's no indication whether ABC is going to get back into it. The Seoul Games, the Summer Games, NBC pays, and it's unclear at this point between three hundred and five hundred million dollars. And this is when NBC basically took over the Summer Games. And they have the rights through 2012. So 
again, if you're a little younger to you, Olympics equals NBC because they've had it for so long. This was also significant to be the last games where the Soviet bloc was involved, where this was where the, the major reason people watched was like, oh, you're going to beat the Ruskies <laughs> or because you had this whole Soviet bloc and you had East Germany and you had, you know, and lots of concerns of, well, they're, they're pulling shenanigans over there. And, and are they really, really amateurs and they're not, and lots of fighting going on, but it was essentially us versus the Soviet bloc was the reason people would, would tune in. This is the last time they had it because soon after that, the Soviet bloc collapsed. 1992. Albertville, the Winter Games, CBS pays $243 million. CBS took over the Winter Games through 1998. And this is where you start to see partnerships. TNT paid, paid $50 million to air some of the events in 92 and 94. Also significant, this is the last time the Winter Games were the same year as the Summer Games, mostly due to costs. Because the networks were like, we can't afford to throw, you know, hundreds of million dollars twice in the same year to the Olympic Committee. And then we had Barcelona, NBC, 1992, $401 million, and this was the year of the triple cast fiasco. NBC said, we're going to make some of the Olympic events pay events. It would be pay TV. And they had this big event of, we're going to have the triple cast, like a red channel and a white channel and a blue channel, and and if you want to see all these other events, you'll you'll have to pay up to see this. Nobody really in, uh, put any money into this. They were like now. I, I remember saying, "Is it is it worth it?" Because I'm a huge Olympics fan. Do I want to pay it? I almost did, and I went, "No, I really can't do it. I just can't see me spending the money on this." And virtually nobody signed up for it. A huge fiasco for NBC. 1994, the Lillehammer Winter Games. CBS pays 300 million dollars, but this was a really good investment for CBS because this was the year of the Tanya Harding scandal. So they really did. They that was a good investment for them. 1996, Atlanta, NBC pays 456 million. At this point, NBC pays 3.5 billion dollars for the summer rights through 2008. It's also the year of the Olympic Park bombing. Only real significant event there. 1998, Nagano Winter Games. CBS pays $375 million. This is the last CBS games. They basically got out of it because it would become too expensive. 2000, Sydney, NBC, $705 million. This is the year NBC started using cable channels, which eventually involved uh, CNBC and MSNBC and USA and Bravo and all these other channels to show some of the lesser known events. 2002, Salt Lake City, NBC paid $545 million for a Winter Games. This is when NBC took over the Winter Games. So from here on in, it's NBC. Athens, 2004, $793 million. Torino, 2006, Winter Games, $606 million. Beijing, 2008, $894 million. And this was, the, this was significant being the first live streaming of the games on the Internet, at least officially. And then we get to Vancouver, 2010, NBC paid $820 million, and it's, it's basically believed that they're going to lose about $250 million on this. It'll be interesting to see because the ratings have been much higher than expected, so maybe they won't lose as much, but this is not something you make money on anymore. So the next one we have to look forward to is the 2012 
London Games, NBC has already got the rights for $1.18 billion. <laughs> Uh, I got to believe after this, NBC may go, we're done. <laughs> we just can't afford this anymore It's it because it has become ludicrous. So the question is, who gets it next? The the games will be up for uh, new broadcast rights past 2012. There's a really good chance you're going to see ABC get involved again, mainly because they have, the obviously, they have ESPN and all those channels. It'd be a perfect fit for ESPN. They've wanted it for a long time. There's been talk that Fox, in fact, Fox tried the last time this all came through, but they really didn't have the money to fight off NBC. Now they probably do. So that's a, that's a real possibility. Uh, whether CBS will get involved, whether one of the other cable channels, whether HBO might say, hey, maybe we'll buy the Olympics. And if you want to see the Olympics, you'll have to get HBO. Who knows? Certainly, you're going to see a lot more stuff go on in terms of online. Because a lot of people complain of why is there so little online coverage of the Olympics in terms of live video? Well, the main reason for that is because you've got contracts that go back to the mid-90s was the last time they negotiated these contracts when the Internet really didn't exist <laughs> as, it, as it stands today. You know, the World Wide Web was just, just barely getting started then. And it was like, well, no one's going to watch video on the Internet. Why would we ever need that? Well, I think in the next contract you're going to see a lot more Internet. Anyways. A lot of numbers to throw at you, but I found it interesting, and I uh, hope you found this episode interesting. If not, maybe we'll do a better better shot next time. want to remind you that you can go to the Facebook fan page by searching for Vast Wasteland. Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com for the feed and other SF Productions podcasts, or you can go to iTunes and search for Vast Wasteland. You can contact us through the website, Facebook, or email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. And finally... Call the voice line at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. And you can complain about whether you'd like this episode or not. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. <laughs>